Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. So hear these words. Like the bow in a cloud on a rainy day, such was the appearance of the splendor all around. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of someone speaking. He said to me, O mortal, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. They shall know that there has been a prophet among them. And you, O mortal, do not be afraid of them, and do not be afraid of their words. Their briars and thorns surround you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, and do not be dismayed at their looks for they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So yes and amen about God's fulfilling promises that are always being existence is a really good lead in to a sermon that tries to cover all 16 books of the prophets because if you have ever started with Isaiah and worked toward, I think, Zechariah is the last one, maybe Zephaniah, one of the Z ones. Um, as you have ever worked through there, you can find yourself in a little bit of a muck and a mire because they are not necessarily the most happy books of the Bible, as we're going to find out in this sermon. In fact, as a sociologist might say, or even from a political science, I want you to go with me for a second into an academic realm of, uh, of sacred texts, if you will. If you were going to prepare a sacred text, a foundational document to uplift the notion that you are God's chosen people, would you include a passage of Ezekiel that calls Israel a rebellious people four times in the matter of eight passages? Would you really include all of these different books of the Bible that talk about how much Israel has messed up over and over again? If you were using this, right, because what's the purpose of foundational stories and sacred texts from a sociological, political science point of view? It is to uplift the group that they're written for. There's an expression, history is written by the victor. So those people who write the book are the ones who won. And yet the Israelites, the Hebrew authors, chose in their uh, section of the, what we call the Hebrew Bible, 
They chose to include 16 books. Only two of them, Obadiah and Nahum, are like cheerleading, let's go Israel kind of books. We're glad, you know, God blessed the defeat of some of their army. But all of the other, the other 14 of those 16 books are expressly about what Israel has done wrong. So put it in perspective for us today. 2022, there is a national committee formed, and they are going to um, put together the most important documents in our nation's history and present to, um, uh, to preserve American values and virtues going forward. All the principles that you want people to read about in textbooks and everything going forward. So what kind of documents do you think they put in there? Constitution is an important one for those of you who forgot your U.S. history. Right? The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence are things that have been mentioned in there. Do you think they put the Emancipation Proclamation? Or Brown versus Board of Education? Or the 19th Amendment, for instance, allowed women the right to vote? I would say yeah. I would say yeah. So a time capsule or a history book has this enlightened species of people that say, oh my gosh, look at how wonderful this group of people are. They recognize that everybody needs a chance to stand on their own two feet, and so they enacted legislation to make that happen. I would assume that those would be put in there. I, I wonder, however, if those things are in there, do they also include Frederick Douglass, my bondage and my freedom? Or do they include History of Women's Suffrage, the trilogy, with Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and others. And the reason I ask that is, would they preserve those things that make us look really good versus the reason we had to get there? Would they put in the documentation like Ezekiel that says, at one point we weren't so great. At one point we struggled with things. At one point we missed the mark. And that's the reason why that we've done all these other things. Because often, when we are trying to tell a story, we're not so good about including the parts that make us look bad. We're not so good about the hard truths that are often presented when we take an honest look at our history or even ourselves. And so prophets are God's people that do that for us. Prophets are people who come to tell the truth. And it can be a hard truth, but... A hard truth can still lead, as Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The more truth that we know, the more we can correct the problem. The more truth we are able to face, the more we can truly live into what God's truth looks like. And so God sent prophets. I think God still sends prophets today, but God sends prophets in the Old Testament. There are more than are just in those 16 books, like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, Zephaniah, all those, Habakkuk, um, all those books, um, because you've got Nathan in 1 Samuel um, who confronts King David for his adultery and murder of Uriah. You've got Deborah in Judges who's called a prophet. You've got Miriam in Exodus who's called a prophet. Even in Isaiah, Isaiah's wife is called a prophetess. So you've got this dynamic duo of husband and wife that is speaking hard truths uh, into the world before, um, before Babylonian conquest, essentially. And that's uh, much of what the prophets speak to are these truths that um, are going to get the Israelites in trouble because they're not living into the ways that God prescribed for them that are the kind of ideal ways of Eden, if you want to say that. So prophet in Hebrew is Navi, which literally translates to spokesperson or one who is called. And the idea behind a prophet versus just a teacher is the prophet is believed in these scriptures to carry the full authority of God that they are speaking the very word that God has given to them and nothing else. 
so that we can truly be corrected, so we can truly be put on the right path towards all of the hope and the promises that are also mentioned in the prophets if we live into the grace and mercy and justice that God has asked us to live into. And I mention that they need to carry the full weight of heaven behind them because if it were me or anybody else who got up here on the stage and started listing off all of the ways in which our system, society, or individual are broken— what do you think the primary reaction is going to be? David's lost his mind. Right? Prophets don't make people happy. Prophets generally don't tell, they don't, they don't come to make people feel good. They come to tell the truth. And while the truth can be hard, the truth will set us free. So another aspect, though, about prophets is when you read them, um, to, to emphasize that it is not just simply a woman or a man speaking to the Israelites or to us today. Um, they often come with what's called um, theophanies. And um, theophanies are these—what uh, theophany literally means is um, vision of God. You know, so someone receives a vision of God. So Moses considered a prophet. He has the burning bush that uh, announces to all who read Exodus or who heard the story when it was being told orally that there is this bush that didn't burn even though it was on fire. And so the Israelites would have heard that story and thought, oh my gosh, that's something that we can't do. So it must be God. So the prophets often come with these theophany stories like Isaiah who has these angels circling around this big fiery throne um, and one of the angels goes to the altar of God with tongs, picks out a burning hot coal, and comes and puts it on Isaiah's lips so that his lips are purified. So there's nothing of human value that's coming out of his lips, but it is purified coming straight from heaven. What we also learn is that apparently angels need oven mitts too um, because they cannot handle hot coals just like we can. Um, if you look at Ezekiel, which was the prophet we read from for the scripture today, it's an even wilder story of, if you've ever um, been to a Renaissance art museum and you see cherubim, they're usually naked babies with wings. Um, cherubim are the same angels that like defended the entrance to the Garden of Eden with flaming swords. So cherubim here are protecting the altar of God because it's too holy to approach, and you cannot find a picture on the internet that truly depicts what Ezekiel saw because there's no throne mentioned in Ezekiel. It's just a big fiery fire, um, but we like depictions of God as a human being. So that's there. The angels have six wings. They have four faces on their heads, an eagle, a lion, an ox, and a man. Um, they're, uh, and they move up and down in synchronous with these, if you see these like steel orbs that all have eyes on them as well. And um, what some of you who lived through the 60s are thinking about is that Ezekiel had an acid trip. Um, and that's not funny, kids. Don't take drugs. But they're wild, and they're meant to be wild. They are meant to be wild because no human being can create that experience. So when we are reading these, again, it's just the importance of that what we are reading is meant to be seen as this is coming straight down the line from God to the people so that people will listen. Because we don't like being corrected by each other. We don't like being corrected by what we see as mere mortals. So carrying the authority of God when bringing these hard truths. Now, what are the hard truths that they're bringing? A lot of times it comes, um, and if you, Dave, if you can clear the background, not the scripture on there. I messed up when I put these in here. Um, a lot of times it's coming from um, 
breaking one of the commandments, essentially, of honoring other gods. And so Hosea talks about, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This story, this Exodus narrative of God being faithful to uh, bringing people out of bondage. The goal of God for individuals is to be broken out of bondage and be able to have the life of standing on their own two feet and loving each other um, uh, well. So the more I called them, the more they went from me. So this is the disconnect here, right? God did something for us, but the more God did for us, the more we kind of took it as our own achievement, and we went and did something else. And they kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Neglect of God. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheek. I bent down to them and fed them. And because they didn't recognize this, it's not necessarily a divine punishment. It's just a natural consequence of, of going to these other priorities besides God. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. And Hosea is writing about foretelling that if you continue in these ways, you're not going to be strong enough. The Assyrian army is coming, and they're going to conquer you, which they did. Because they had turned away from God. And, and you can look at it as a divine consequence of turning away from God. You can also just look at it from their priority standpoint of everything that God had told them to be about being a strong nation that cared and loved for each other would have given them the strength to fight Assyria. But instead, they had a few powerful and a lot weak, and it just doesn't work that way. Hosea also talks about, if we talk about loving God and connected with loving our neighbor, he goes on to say, a traitor in whose hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. And so they're cheating each other with mismatched scales. They are taking advantage of the poor, um, and a class system starts to develop. Ephraim, which is another name for northern, the northern kingdom of Israel, has said, Ah, I am rich. I have gained wealth for myself. And all of my gain, no offense has been found in me that would be sin. And so we've got this type of sin that's going on, this type of injustice, which just seems normal to those who are perpetrating it. It doesn't, it's not, not registering. And this is often why prophets are sent, is because sin becomes normalized. And it becomes something that we can't see because it's just part of normal every day. If we cheat somebody for our own gain and it causes us to have a better life situation, well, the ends justify the means, right? And Hosea speaks to the situation of the poor. Micah especially talks about this. Micah talks about the, uh, in pretty graphic language, says, listen, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people and the flesh off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin off them. Anybody feeling good about themselves right now? Break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a kettle, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have acted wickedly. Micah is specifically concerned about the oppressed and the widowed and the poor. Micah is specifically concerned about um, how the powerful, it's, it's a little bit like we see in 1 Corinthians when communion is being denied from the not rich and, the, and those who don't have influence in the world, but all the influencers are taking communion and taking God for themselves. And Micah is seeing this in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he goes on to talk about the rulers of the house who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for a money. And here's the thing. As they're doing all of this, they're going to church, and they're saying, surely the Lord is with us. But all along, while they're in church, they're reading, you shall have no other gods before me. 
no other priorities, no other focuses, nothing that takes more importance than the ways and will and love of God. All along, they're reading for Deuteronomy, the law for when they enter into the Holy Land, you shall not charge interest on loans to another Israelite, interest on money, interest on provisions, interest on anything that is lent, and it goes on to add specific riders for how you should treat poor people, including when you farm your field, you shouldn't farm at all, so that there is some for the poor to make sure everybody has something to eat. There are, even in a world in which women were considered second class, there are statutes that protect women when they are widowed or left behind or other things of that nature. It is a community that is designed to look out for each other so that no one is ever sitting high and mighty looking down on somebody else and devaluing their humanity. It is a system and a way of life that seeks to value every person that is in that place. But here's the good news. Every prophet tells the hard truth. They speak the hard truth. They speak the truth that will set us free if we will decide to listen. And every one of them, though, with the hard truth comes with the truth of promise. If we're singing all of God's promises are yes and amen, and even when the Israelites are in exile, God speaks through Jeremiah and Isaiah to say, don't worry, I'm going to rescue you from this, but I need your help in doing that. I need you to listen to the the ways in which I've already told you to live. I need you to live into the promise of what the original intent of Eden was supposed to be. But every, and if that happens, God will come and it says in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord is in Micah, of the Lord's house shall be established at the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. We shall have no other God but God. People shall, uh, no other God but God. People shall stream to it. It will be so attractive because of the way that we love each other, right? Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. It will be so attractive that nations will stream to it and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path because it will be so revolutionary the way that no one is left out or left behind. It will be so revolutionary in the love that is shown and the sacrificial love that builds up a world where everybody has the chance to stand on their own two feet. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the Lord shall judge between many peoples. Right, nations are gonna start coming together. Shall arbitrate between strong nations that used to be at warfare with each other. And you can, you can take out nations and you can say strong personalities that have been at war with each other. Strong individuals who have been at war with each other. And here's the good news. When that happens, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They're gonna turn destructive tools into productive tools. They're gonna turn tools that are meant to tear down and destroy into productive tools that are meant to build up and nurture. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall all sit under their own vines, under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And if you're a Hamilton fan, you'll recognize the words that George Washington quotes. Here about being able to sit under your own vine and fig tree and not be afraid. Because in the kingdom of God, everybody has the chance to have their own vine and fig tree. And kings and rulers and priests and pastors don't take that away from people and we don't take that away from each other. It was an interesting part of our trip that we took at the end because, you know, I've kind of been skimming through the prophetic books and, and Carrie Lynn had pitched this sermon series idea as, as like a light, fun um, sermon series during the summer and then 
the prophets came around, and I was like, how do I make the prophets light and fun? Um, um, so I've been trying to, was trying to think about that as, as a, how do I make this? And I realized that you can't outside of telling acid jokes, right? Because the last stop we made was in Memphis, and we got the barbecue and we went to Beale Street. We didn't go to Graceland. For those of you Elvis fanatics, I'm sorry. Um, but the last thing we did was we went to the National Civil Rights Museum, which is at the old Lorraine Motel where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And, you know, it was a really, really well-done museum of our nation's history and some of the not-so-great moments and some of the heroic moments of certain individuals and, and groups. And as you go through, you know, it's a question I've asked myself before. When you go through and you see these pictures of the Freedom Riders sitting at lunch counters, and it's not like the white people were indifferent to them. It was that they were abusive to them. And I, I kept wondering, as a middle-class white guy, if I could have heard the words of the prophets, if I could have heard Dr. King's teachings on nonviolent resistance and change going on for, for those of darker skin color as well as those for the poor around the world, if I could have heard those, if I would have been able to hear those, or when Ruby Bridges walked into the elementary school, would I have been just another of the, one of the white kids who was hurling taunts at her? And I'd like to think, right, I'd like to think when I preserve my history that I like to say all of the good things and all of the inclusivity and all of the justice and all of the kindness that I've been about, but this was a time in which that wasn't so. And facing these pictures, it's amazing how many pictures they have where people were so proud to be photographed next to somebody who was dying. And they looked like me. And would I at that time have been open to God's words of mercy and kindness and justice? What Micah 6, 8 says, What is required of you, O mortal, but to love kindness and seek justice and walk humbly with your God? And that's not the story we really like to tell. But it's the truth we need to confront ourselves with. Is how receptive are we towards that clearly match the words of Isaiah or Ezekiel, Deuteronomy, or anything Jesus says. In what we call the inspired word of God, are we willing to read those 16 books as truth? Because the last part of the exhibit, we walked through lots of winding mazes, the last part is this map, um, this is across the street, it's this map of the entire globe and on it are somewhere between 30 and 50 red dots in all different parts of the world. And um, there's one in India for Gandhi. There's one in Afghanistan for Benazir Bhutto. There's one in the United States for uh, Martin Luther King and a few others and different ones around the world. And what they are are red dots for every time someone was working nonviolently to create a better world for an oppressed group that was not being shown the justice of God and was assassinated for it. Sometimes by people in their own group who felt like they were becoming too open and liberal. It was a stark reminder that the stories we like to tell are not always full of the truth. But when we are confronted with the truth, 
and we have ears to hear and eyes to see, the truth can set us free. And not only can set us free, but it sets people free around the world who are being persecuted, who are being slaughtered. And we need to examine whether we are simply, if, we're, if we are in the fight with God, because then I'll, I'll just say this on kind of a tangent. I'm reading a book on John Wesley. And the way that John Wesley describes Scripture, this is in our United Methodist Book of Discipline, it says, all things necessary for salvation are in the Bible. And I think most of us would probably say, yeah, 100% will agree with that. So why are those 16 prophetic books in there? Because they don't deal with, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will go to heaven. Those 16 books deal with, if we believe we're going to heaven, why aren't we doing it right now? And it's a challenge for us to ask ourselves whether we're open to the Word of God or whether we're open to some of the Word of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, let us have the courage to open our ears when you speak. Even though we continue to have prophetic words spoken from pulpits and in street corners, all around the world today, it's not like we really need them because we have so many witnesses because a faithful people told the truth and they heard the truth and they lived by the truth as best as they could. And God, we thank you for people who are humble enough to preserve that side of the story so that our stories might be better, so that our stories are better. And then we can continue to make your story come to life. And we can see this bigger vision of wolves that lay down with lambs, of swords that are beaten into plowshares, where we don't study war against each other anymore, but instead we lean into love so that all people might know that, yes, we are from that mountain Zion. And come join us in something that is so good, humans could have never invented it by themselves. And so, God, may your wisdom be the only wisdom. And may it become who we are so that we might see, we might see how close we are to heaven. And we might also see that we're still far away. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite- Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.